Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, and our associate producer, William Smith. Visit patreon.com slash positively trek to help support the podcast. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Thank you all very much for your support, and enjoy the show. So Dan, I know you haven't traveled much because of the pandemic, but if you were to travel and you could pick any type of Star Trek ship to travel in, what would you be your ideal ship to travel in? It doesn't mean like travel to other planets, just even just to travel around the globe. Oh man, you know, I've always thought like to travel in style, I would love to have the Delta Flyer. Can you imagine that just like showing up in your backyard or something? Uh, yeah, the Delta Flyer, I think, is the most styling ship. That's the one I'd love to fly around in. That's really interesting because it's a smaller ship, and mine is a little bigger than that one, but mine would be the Defiant from Deep Space Nine. Oh, I do like that one. I do like the Defiant. That's always been my favorite starship, but uh, if I'm just tooling around the world, I, I think the convenience of the smaller ship, personally. I like it that the Defiant's small enough and also cloaks. That's what I like. I don't want anybody ah, to see me coming, yeah. right? Because i got to hide the <laughs> ship from everybody on this planet. So welcome, everyone, to Positively Trek. That was Dan Gunther. I'm Bruce Gibson. And we have a guest with us, Ben Robinson from Eagle Moss. And Ben, what ship would you travel around the globe in? I would travel around the world, though, in the most comfortable one I can imagine. You guys have chosen two really uncomfortable ships. <laughs> you know, you've got the diff- <laughs> There's like, there are no sofas or beds on the Delta Flyer. You just have, there's like, a, you can lie down in the morgue bit in the back. Um, <laughs> and then on the Defiant, you know, they, they make a whole point of how uncomfortable it is. You have to share on the Defiant. You know, well, that, double yeah, that is, that's a good point. Bunk beds, man. Oh. Yeah, in the in the in the bulkhead, bunk in the bulkhead. <laughs> nah, I mean, I'm, I'm Enterprise D or E all the way. I want my like Hilton suite. I'm, I'm gonna, but if it's around the world, I'm just gonna I'm gonna transport anyway. I don't need a ship. I'm just why <laughs> waste time? You have the added benefit of a holodeck on those ships too, which mm. you know that would be I mm, that that would sway yeah. me. I think. Yeah, definitely. I go, I go for comfort. I, and you, I mean, you know, you don't have to hide from anybody, or do you? Maybe you do. Well, I, I can't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, you make a good point. I like the comfort of the D, but I'm just picturing it's like myself and my family. That's a big ship to pilot around with just a few people. Oh, there's just the, well, the four of you on this ship for a thousand people. <laughs> you know we'll all travel around in the d together it'll be like a cruise yeah ship. cool exactly and it's big enough you can get away from people as well that, that's true wait <laughs> ben are you telling me that at some point you want to get away from me not from you but everyone's been locked up with everybody else it is a little bit like being in a spaceship did you know when they when the pandemic started there was a whole thing over here about how um astronauts could could tell people how it was going to be because they have training for what it's like to be locked up with other people for a long period of time. Um, 
yeah, I think we've all had to learn a bit of that. Now, I want a, I want a nice big ship with an arboretum and, a, you know, cetacean ops and a holodex. I am, yeah, yeah, I'm not expecting to go out anytime soon. <laughs> wouldn't it be great to have a holodeck during this whole pandemic it would be like we're going everywhere we want to go without going anywhere oh that would be amazing <laughs> well there's one thing that we do want to go to and that is your new book you have a new book coming out star trek shipyards the borg and delta quadrant is that out already or is it coming it is no it's out it's out um i don't, I don't know when you're going to broadcast it. it was out last week so it's out out end of april beginning of may so yeah, people people have got copies. Um, people seem to be happy. It's nice. It is. Well, it's got 200 pages of full-color illustrations. It all is taking place in-universe. But here's what's interesting to me. We're covering the Borg, mm-hmm. and we're covering the ships of the Delta Quadrant, but it doesn't have all the ships of the Delta Quadrant in. Now, Ben, why can't you get all the ships in the Delta Quadrant <laughs> in one book? Too many of them. <laughs> that's, that's not fair we started out thinking we'd put them all in one book um but that book would have been like um 500 and something pages um and we would have to have you know for economic reasons we would have to have charged some ridiculous amount of money for it um so we thought no well come on we we'll just have to do the sensible thing do a um do a kill bill here and uh split it into two volumes okay so this is the first volume a through k mm-hmm but it starts off with the Borg. And I have to tell you, as I was going through this book, for some reason, I didn't remember there's so many different types of Borg ships. I even said to my wife at breakfast this morning, I said, we're going to talk about the Borg ships. And she goes, well, there's only one, right? It's a cube. And I'm like, no, there's more than that. I was even like the Queen's ship. I forgot about that. Oh, the Queen's Diamond's a favorite. I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely the thing with the Borg is that you, you think Borg, you think cube. And you go, oh, hang on, and sphere, and tactical cube, and probe, and the queen ship, and the renegade Borg ship that, you know, the faction that allied themselves with law had. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, not all Borg ships are, are square, for sure. <laughs> they definitely got the, the geometry down, though. So mm. uh, th- that renegade Borg ship always kind of sticks out to me. But everything else, I love the the simple geometry and then, like the the page where you show like fore aft <laughs> ventral views. <laughs> oh, <Borg>. Yes, <laughs> I always love yeah. that when it's a Borg ship because it's just you know cube, 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 or yeah. square, square, square. I guess. <laughs> yeah, but every side is different on a Borg cube. Though That's true. Yeah, I can reasonably assume that every Borg cube is different. Um, there were quite a few different um, versions of it physically in the show, well, physically or virtually. Um, and you know, and yet more on Picard. So yeah. And I bet with your uh, with your work with the Starships collection, you're probably intimately familiar with all of them too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am. I am very aware of the difficulties of each individual book cube and how detailed or not they are. Yes, it is a subject I know far too much about. <laughs> so there's beautiful illustrations in here of all these ships, the Borg and the Delta Quadrant. So tell us about that process of getting these illustrated. I mean, how, what access do you guys get from the production? And I would think there's sometimes that there's some information that is lacking and you have to put pieces together. 
Yeah, I mean, the the VFX files, I, I have access to them, I have copies of them. And funnily enough, actually, the production now asks me for them rather than the other way around, um, because they were all done from different visual effects vendors who didn't return their files to um, to Paramount. Nobody, you know, nobody thought it was a thing at the time. So, you know, we've tracked those down from various different people. There were one or two um from, there were two visual effects houses worked on Voyager, really, um, and the Eden or Digital Muse, as they were at the time, uh, files were only backed up towards the end of season six. So there's like a gap for the ones they did on season seven. But almost everything was done by Foundation for Voyager. Uh, so we have access to those. So you can get the, the actual ship, as long as it was a CG one, and render it out. Um, and even when we don't have the the CG asset itself, which is very rare. It's only like one or two. Um, we do have renders of it, so we were able to reconstruct them. So in these illustrations, there's labels to certain things. So example, it's like, here's the cooling vent, mm-hmm. here's the sensor array. Is that information in the production notes and the illustrations, or is that something that you guys just kind of go, that looks like that could be a cooling vent? No, I mean, a lot of these we don't annotate because we don't know for sure. Um, it depends on who designed it. So Rick Sternbeck was always very um, conscious of these things. So he was like, okay, that's exactly what that is, and I'm putting it on for that reason. So um, most of the ships that Rick designed, he had a pretty good idea of what all the the greebles and the bits and pieces are. Um, that's not always true. Um, so we, 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 we're quite careful now about not annotating stuff unless we're really 100% confident that that's what it is. Um, and even then, sometimes the, you know, the VFX team made a different decision to the artist. So it's not 100% consistent. Wait a minute. That phaser beam is coming out of the ventral warp exhaust. That's exactly. <laughs> or well, I, mean, I, I didn't happen so much in this book, but John Easy's favorite story is he gets to see the episode and he goes, oh, it's flying backwards <laughs> in terms of what he intended, at least. Yeah, I think that, oh, I, I remember that being the case with the hollow ship, I think, in yeah. Insurrection, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it happened to him quite a lot on the movies that Rafo's ship got flipped around as well. Oh, wow. I would almost think production teams would reach out to you because they look at you as an expert now to say, hey, where, where, where was this supposed to be or where should this be? Has, has that ever happened on the new productions? Yes, yeah, we have a few conversations along those lines. Um, they're they're very keen um, at the moment to to tie in um, with things that are familiar to people. So we have had a few conversations with them about some of those things. Um, I mean, it's it's not a not a, a delta quadrant thing, but I don't know if you guys saw um, when they had that little teaser trailer for Picard season two. And uh, York from Ex Asterisk, who is the most um, precise man you'll ever meet, most uh, spotted that there's like a, a ship in a bottle on the on the shelf, uh, and that ship is actually a Promethean battle cruiser that we gave the Picard uh, production company to put in a bottle because he says that he makes one in uh, booby trap. That's awesome. I, I I saw that little series of tweets. That was wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that shows you how much. I mean, Dave, Dave Blass, who's the production designer, is, is very, very aware and very keen to to put those kind of Easter eggs in the show. I think uh, people are going to see quite a lot of that kind of stuff in the next season. Just guessing. Don't know. Don't know. 
Well, might know, but don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we move on to the Delta Quadrant, there's one thing I want to stay on with the Borg, and that is separate from this book, there's an advent calendar coming out that's Borg-related. Tell us a little bit about that. There is. So we have um, a new product development team that is uh, specializes in coming up with new and interesting stuff. It's a bit of a departure for us. Uh, it's headed up by my colleague Stella, who's very talented. Um, and one of the projects for this year is advent calendars. We're doing three advent calendars. We're doing a Star Trek one, which we'll see for you guys, uh, a Doctor Who one, and a Beatles one. Um, so each one of them has these little drawers in, and each of the drawers has a, a really cool uh, and satisfying surprise in it. And I see from uh, from the listing that these are exclusive to this product. So these aren't things that, like, so if you buy this for a Star Trek fan, it's not a bunch of stuff that they're going to already have. This is all new for this advent calendar. Yes, absolutely. Everything in these advent calendars is brand new. So there's nothing there's nothing that you could have had before. Um, so yeah, there, there, there are lots of, it's really difficult an advent calendar because you don't want to tell people what's in it. That's the whole point of, <laughs> of like an advent calendar is you don't know what you're going to get. Um, but they're all like um, really cool things that I look at and I think, well, oh yeah, I want that. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's not, uh, it's not model ships. I can tell you that, but it's, uh, there's some really nice stuff there. Oh, that's really cool. One of the things that uh, I, I have a few friends that get the Lego uh, Star Wars advent calendar every mm. year. And on Instagram, I'm seeing their their new little thing every day. And I get a little jealous. I'm like, oh, I wish I had something cool like that for Star Trek. And you've totally uh, answered my uh, my request this year. So that's that's excellent. <laughs> oh, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen what they've got in it. And, they, you know, they've asked my opinion about a few things. So I'm like, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I really want that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna help to help choose a few things for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it's a kind of interesting combination of of like useful stuff, um, and and just fun stuff. And it's it's a little bit, you know, we just pitched these advent calendars at a, a level that is, you know, they're not cheap. We wanted it, we wanted it to be. I mean, when I say they're not cheap, what I mean is the things in them aren't cheap. You know, they're extremely good value. Um, but we wanted it to be good enough that, that you would want the things. We didn't just want it to be like, oh, okay, I've got a piece of paper, very nice, and you know, throw it away, or I've got got a Star Trek themed chocolate or mint or something like that. Though there's nothing wrong with those. We all like those. But uh, yeah, there's some really nice stuff in there that I think you know everyone will be really happy with, and it's gonna the, the stuff is worth way more than the advent calendar costs. Put it that way. Dang, I want that, Very and cool. I want the other two also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Doctor Who one looks amazing, and the Beatles—that's so cool too. Yeah. No, I'm glad you think so. No, I think that I think they're really, really cool. I can I can't take any credit for them at all, but I do think they're incredibly cool. Well, we might have you back later in the year to talk about that when we get closer to uh, the holidays. Should be. Yeah, I'll come back. I'll come back every day in December. oh my god what was this (laughs) yeah ben tell us the details and what was behind this one here (laughs) right i don't know it wasn't me but i thought it was a really nice thing (laughs) (laughs) well back to the book now because now we're in the delta quadrant and that's a big piece of this book because like you said there's so many ships that you have to create another volume to cover the rest 
And it's interesting to me why there's so many ship, ships, because there was a way in the creative how ships were done using models in the other series. And now we moved to CG during the production run of Voyager. And that increased the capacity to create more and more ships. So tell us about that whole change in process and production and how that opened up for more ships. Yeah, Voyager is, is the great transitional show for Star Trek. Um, you know, I always say when you look at the opening titles for Voyager, they have every possible technique in them. You know, so you've got practical models, you've got CG model, very early CG model of Voyager itself. Um, and then Dan, actually, that nebula at the end that Voyager shoots off into is painted on a piece of cardboard. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you'd never know. Um, but it has all these different techniques in it. And, and Voyager very much starts off as, uh, I guess, the, the traditional VFX show, you know, where... Um, you're having these incredible uh, physical studio models that they're making, that they film. I mean, the, the model of Voyager itself, which had little motorized uh, nacelles that moved, and they had to move exactly the same every time because of the way they composited the shots, and that was like a nightmare. Um, and then towards the end of season two, you're getting to this point when CG is becoming uh, good enough to be used on Star Trek. They always had reservations about it because of how well it would stand up to, to scrutiny right in front of the camera. But it, it kind of rapidly crosses this point of viability. And you have the, I think you get a lot of input from the guys who are working on Star Trek. You have all these years of experience of filming practical models who say to them, okay, you need to approach this in a slightly different way. Um, but what it means is that suddenly they can generate um, these CG ships for a fraction of the cost of the practical models. And of course, because you're in the Delta Quadrant, you know, there's a new race you haven't met before every other week. And suddenly it's practical for them to have a ship, which is, you know, which is why this is such a sort of fertile territory. I always, that, that's one thing about early Voyager and, and yeah, the practical models are beautiful and expensive and hard to create. It always kind of twigged in the back of my mind that, you know, a bunch of these people in the Delta Quadrant fly the same ships, just a slightly different color mm. as we saw in the next generation. What's going on here? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that was interesting about doing the book actually is that you see, you know, this is the catalog of every ship and you, you're, you're faced with a question of, Hmm, okay, so do we talk about the fact that these guys have exactly the same ship as those guys, even though they're 10,000 light years apart and that shouldn't really be possible? <laughs> um, so we were very careful with our image selection to, to not sort of make it too on the nose. Um, there is a very, I mean, you get the things that because the book's done alphabetically, you sort of sometimes get, oh, I, those two ships are exactly the same. And they are alphabetically, they've ended up next to one another. <laughs> oh, wow. Turn the page, you go, oh, it's the same ship. But I, one of the advantages of having CG is that you can spin the ship around and show it from a different angle or show it. So, you know, you can make it, you can, you can make the book have variety, even if um, that wasn't always in the show. Mm -hmm. I, I was wondering that reading this because it is completely in universe. There's, you know, the forward is kind of out of universe, but other than that, all of the content is in universe. So yeah, there's no acknowledgement that, for example, the Hazari scout ship looks exactly the same as the Aksani racing shuttle. 
uh, even though, you know, one's yeah. a yeah. fairly large ship, one's a little shuttle. Yeah, it, it just, you know, grab yeah. a file and we'll use that one. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the show, you know, in the show, these things look the same. So, uh, you know, we see our job, particularly in these books, as being to, to catalogue the show. So, you know, we're looking at the reality of, of that universe. So we present it as you see it. Um, you know, and we're not necessarily the ones there to sort of make the rationalizations. I mean, sometimes you can, sometimes you can say, oh, okay, maybe this, this could be used, this could be the same race, or they could both have had access to the same, you know, same source material as it were. Maybe there's some kind of third-party shipbuilding, com- you know, company or human uh, <laughs> race out there is like going, ah, oh, yeah, you want that? Yeah, you want it blue? Okay, you want it yellow? Okay, um, you know, the the Ford Starship Company. It's like the Duracell batteries versus the Kirkland batteries. They both came off the same production line. They just had have a different wrapper on them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is in in Voyager. It is that the thing that is a curiosity is the fact that you know the ship does travel across some pretty large distances um but it's even more of a problem in the first couple of seasons when um they were still having to rely on the practical models so you know the vidians who you have to wait up to spoiler wait for volume two um have a ship that looks remarkably like the merchantman from uh, star trek three what what would you say then when they moved to cgi what made the cg models a little more unique than the practical models um well there are the the main thing is cost um and and that that cost isn't just in the cost of the construction though that's significantly less for cg than it is for a practical model but it's also the speed with which you can you can film something you know when you're doing everything motion control you had to take it down to the south stage and you know it could take you a day to shoot you know your three seconds of footage you know you have to sort of do it seven times and you have to do it um, very, very slowly, and then you have to put it all together in the compositing bag. With CG, I mean, obviously, back then, computers were a lot slower, but you could still, you know, once you'd made your ship, you could um, you could make it do all sorts of things that were a bit more challenging um, on a motion control rig. I mean, Dan, Dan Curry, he's a good friend of mine, Dan always says, you can do anything you want with the old technology. It's just a question of time and money. Um, but yeah, CG definitely made it easier for them to design shit. And also, I guess it made it easier for them to do ships that were a bit different. So there's like in this one, there's like the flea ship, which is, which we probably know better as the Romulan um, holographic drone from Enterprise. But there's this, you know, it's a very unusual ship with a lot of antennae and uh, segmented body and those kind of things. You could have done it with a practical model, but, it, it, you know, you can just go a bit crazy with um, with CG. I like CG because you can do that. It allows you to expand a little further with the design and use of the ship on the show, because to your point, you can move a lot faster with that. But at the same time, I miss the practical models because they're practical. They look in the sense, a little more real, but I mean, CG does over time has looked even more and more real on screen. I, I think it's always down to the, the artistry of the people who are making it. You know, I, I, I think there's a, there's a point that we crossed a while back 
where the, the technology was good enough, you know, where you could make something that people would not be 100% sure whether it was a practical model or a CG one. And then it just became about, you know, the skill of the people doing it. Um, and a lot of that is to do with lighting. Uh, a lot of it is to do with the way you film things. Um, you know, do you, do you have a completely smooth camera, for example, because that's one of the things about CG is that um, the cameras were perfect in their movement, whereas in, uh, in, in practical stuff, however repeated it is, it's still got this little bit of imperfection in it. It's just got this little bit of humanity to it, I guess. Like, which you have to replicate doing CG, but they, but you know, the, that's one of the great things I think about the Star Trek VFX teams. They did know how to do that, and they did want it to have that feel. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I, I find in a lot of CG stuff is trying to recreate what I feel like is like the weight mm. of the ships and that feel. And like I love Babylon Five and definitely Trailblazers and Pioneers in CGI. But yeah, some of that first season, second season stuff that they did, it just felt like there were elements kind of flying around that didn't have that that weight to them that models do and. I love that that technology has evolved, that it really does start to feel like, oh, is that a model or is that CGI? I can't really tell. And I think that's kind of the sweet spot there that I love. Yeah, and it's, it's been very interesting because I, I know the guys who are doing the Voyager doc very well as well. I've been talking to them, trying to help them out a little bit. Um, and, you know, they can re-render the effects in HD now. So someone has to go in and sort of spruce the models up a little bit but it'll be interesting to see to see some of those effect shots rendered out, you know, at much higher resolution, which of course you can do now. You know what, Ben? I swear I'm listening to everything you're saying, but at the same time, I'm looking through the book, you know, and it's just so great to look through this and see all this, all the images, all the illustrations. Tell us more about the layout of this book and and the in universe perspective. So what we did was every ship gets. Well, I say every ship, every significant ship gets a, a beauty shot, what we call a beauty shot. So you get like a poster image of every ship. Um, and then you get a little, uh, depending on how much you see of that ship, you get a bit of text describing everything that we know about it. And then because we wanted to be this kind of uh, definitive reference, when you turn the page, you then get a spread of, as you say, these um, orthographic renders showing you the, the top, the side, the bottom, all that kind of stuff. Um, there are one or two exceptions when we get into something that's very obscure um, where, or something that looks remarkably like the ship on the previous page um, where we haven't gone through the whole, the whole process. But this really is the, you know, the definitive um, reference to those ships. Um, and the other thing is, if you think about the way it works when you see the show, um, you know, those ships are often moving very quickly or they are, you know, not lit super clearly because they're trying to create a mood. Um, one of the great things about the book is that we're able to just go like, look, this is about this ship. So, you know, to give you a real extreme example of that, there's a ship in Abaddon's junkyard which is one of the very first chips you see when you open the book. And it's like, um, I, when you watch the episode, you can just kind of see it in the corner and you can't see any detail. 
but because you know it was a model and it was built we were able to render it and show it to you properly yeah that's one of the ones that when i first opened this i was like i don't remember this ship which is pretty rare for like mm-hmm. i i've gone over all of these with a fine tooth comb all the episodes like i i think of myself as like i have this encyclopedic knowledge but yeah i was like oh that looks really cool i've never i want to draw that what is that that's so cool and uh i have another one of your shipyards books and it sits on my shelf now next to the star trek encyclopedia because mm-hmm. it just it feels like it's part of that same world of of like you say definitive reference material for this universe yeah absolutely i mean and the idea was i i mean my my shorthand for this series is always it's it's james fighting ships of star trek you know um and i think ships are such a big subject for people obviously you know we know because we've made all these models and people have been very kind about them and seem to like them um that it just seemed to me that, that there was a real interest in it and it was something that people wanted an encyclopedia but you know if you think about we're splitting the delta quadrant into two volumes if you put you know i think we've done how many have we done we've done two volumes of starfleet one of federation one of klingons uh now two uh so two starfleet one federation one klingon two now two volumes of the delta quadrant um and then we've got another two or three volumes to go to to sort of complete the set as it were um we just updated the the starfleet one that was to the future because the future suddenly got a lot bigger uh, <laughs> so that's coming out soon as well and that has the the starfleet ships from picard and from um from discovery season three Ooh, that's exciting. There's some wild designs there I'm eager to see. <laughs> there are some pretty crazy designs in there, yeah. Are you playing around with the lower deck ships? Uh, yes, the lower deck ships are in there. They're canon. So in the uh, to the future, the 2294 to the future volume, they're now in there, the stuffy ones. I, I guess an extension to that question and probably not something you can really talk about too much yet. Have you had a look at least at anything that we're going to see in Star Trek Prodigy? And uh, when can we expect to maybe see some of that stuff trickle out? I actually haven't signed my NDA for Prodigy. <laughs> it's on my to-do list. I, <laughs> I might have an idea of what the main ship looks like, having seen that elsewhere. And I might have seen some other very exciting things that aren't to do with Prodigy that are, are coming up. Um, I, I think everyone's going to, you know, 2020... Well, I suppose late 2021 into 2022 is going to be a pretty exciting year from a ship's point of view. There's going to be a lot of um, stuff that's going to make people go, oh, I like that for sure. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, we just got a recent uh, announcement. I guess I shouldn't say announcement, but Anson Mount, who plays Pike in Strange New Worlds, had recently mentioned that things are still running smoothly on Strange New Worlds because they've had some COVID situations where they had an actor that was going to show up that had COVID and they were able to avoid the actor showing up from on the set, but then somebody else showed up. So that delayed things. So it sounds like things are right on target. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely, there's, there's more Star Trek being made now probably than any time in history. I'm trying to think. Um, I guess it's on a par with, the time when they were making First Contact and Voyager and Deep Space Nine all at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got uh, 
you know, you've got Discovery Season 4, Picard Season 2, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy. I mean, you know, this is this is um, a lot of Star Trek. Maybe not as many, you know, maybe there might have been a, a point in the past when there were more hours in the year. Well, it's keeping you busy. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is keeping me busy. Um, yeah, among among other things. But yeah, so we, we're adding, even within the Shipyards books, we've already done a Galactica volume. Um, we've got an Expanse contracts now so you can imagine where that might go um so yeah we've we've got some nice stuff coming i saw a tweet recently that said you have a uh the orville a book for yeah. that too yeah yeah we've got well we've got uh, models for the orville coming okay it's uh, yeah yeah so we've done uh we've done the orville itself and the shuttle and then we have a bunch of new ships coming out later this starting later this year what is going on with the Orville? I thought that was supposed to premiere a while ago. Are they still doing? Oh, uh, they got three? a little bit COVIDed, um, yeah. and then obviously they're moving to Hulu. I mean, the the way they work on the Orville is is very different. Um, where they they don't start shooting the season until um, Seth is happy with all of the scripts, uh, which is not the way any other TV show works. Any other TV show, they're like, "What are we doing next week?" Oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've just been finishing off this book about the original series, and you, you know, you realise that some of the greatest episodes of Star Trek were written because they needed an episode really quickly. You know, so Gene Coon sat down and wrote Arena, you know, because they needed something for next week. You know, and uh, you've also got the uh, Build the Enterprise D project mm. kind of in full swing now. How how has that been going? How's the response been to that? It's been great. Um, yeah, we've had very enthusiastic response from people and I, I haven't had anybody try to kill me because they've had to put so many <laughs> escape pods into their, their whole planking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's coming together really nicely. Um, you know, obviously I've seen a complete one, which is not true for everybody else. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that we'll, we'll be able to get to some conventions and show off the, the finished model to people. And then they'll you know get an idea of just how satisfying it is. Well, there was a recent announcement: Destination Star Trek London is happening in November. Are you going to be at that? Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely be there. Um, I'm hoping we're going to be uh, New York Comic Con as well, which seems likely. That's that's on. Um, I you know I obviously I'm in England, so I I don't know yet whether we would go to the the last of the celebration conventions or not. That's a you know that one's up in the air but certainly by the end of the year i think we're expecting to be be back out there and showing some of this stuff off to people excellent yeah and that one uh they're scheduled november 12th to 14th they've just announced so uh yeah hopefully the world looks a lot different by then and we'll all be heading to conventions at that point so. well i mean that one in particular i was you know because that that's the, that's the convention that should have been the void well it will be but, you know, it should have been the Voyager 25th anniversary convention. It's just going to be the 26th anniversary convention now. Um, but, you know, they've got they've got the whole cast there um, pretty much. So that that will be a pretty, pretty exciting thing. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely be there. Um, and I think there's something I can't talk about yet that I think I hope will be will be a big part of that. And of course, we'll have advent calendars by that point. Yes. <laughs> You should give some of the cast uh, some of those calendars. They'd like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I imagine. I, yeah. I think Anthony Rapp would probably appreciate an admin. 
There's useful things in the advent calendar. There are useful things. They will all be, oh, can I get one of those? You know. <laughs> oh my gosh, you've got me sold. Oh. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's May. Why am I looking forward to the holidays? Now? I know. <laughs> it's it's like, you know, it, that is the thing. You have to tell the trade about these things because, you know, if you're a, a, a toy store or a collectible store, you know, this is when you need to be buying that stuff. But for yeah. most of the rest of us, it's like, oh, you know, okay, come back and tell me when you, you know, when I might think about buying it. But yeah, I mean, Christmas starts in July. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's funny being into these things like like Star Trek uh, Christmas stuff because that's my year all the time. Is like right around now. I'm like, oh, what are the Hallmark ornaments for this year? What what's this Advent calendar? It's 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 really strange how it rearranges your schedule but yeah yeah i'm I'm personally one of those people that kind of thinks christmas is like 12 day thing but uh, obviously not (laughs) but now with the shipyards book the borg and delta quadrant this is a volume one and it's out now but is volume two going to be out for the holidays oh yes yeah i think it's out in july so so i think we we originally planned to have that one it's gone from our end we've we've finished with it um, yeah, so we just kind of uh, wanted to give people a little bit of a breather uh, between <laughs> volumes. And then, yeah, we're just now uh, looking at Alpha Quadrant volume and, and how we how many volumes that splits up into. So, yeah, it's an ongoing series. I mean, as I say, we've done, um, we've done I'm trying to remember how many I said we've done. We've done four or five. We've done five volumes so far. So yeah, that, I think uh, the, the, there's certainly the other Delta Quadrant one to come, and then probably another three. So I think it's probably something like a nine, nine, maybe ten volume series in total. For now, as for the now, yes. yeah, yes. exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I know you're working on a Star Trek: The Original Series celebration book. So tell us about that, and what else you're coming up with that you haven't told us already, because you you are busy. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, I am busy. <laughs> um, I am a man who doesn't get everything done. Um, <laughs> I have a, a list of things that I haven't done is longer than the things that, as you know, I think I hope the thing I have done is pretty long list as well. Um, yes, so, I mean, the Voyager celebration book we did um, last year, I was, I'm very, very proud of it, and it seems to have gone down very well. Um, it's the original series' 55th anniversary this year. Uh, so we've done the same thing for that. I've been working with Ian Spelling. So, um, you know, two, two nerdier Star Trek journalists who have talked to enough people are hard to come by. Um, and yeah, we pulled together everything from, from our archives and, uh, and it's been great actually. I mean, I managed to, um, research some bits of the original series I was a bit less familiar with, um, you know, and we've been tracking down kind of rare photographs and stuff like that. So it's it's been a real pleasure. Um, yeah, and then we were just talking about we have a um, a book, the Book of Grudge, um, to come for Christmas. A little kind of fun novelty book, uh, Grudge's view of the world from uh, Discovery season three. So yeah, those. <laughs> So yeah, another another shipyard book. Uh, oh, and then another one of the nerd searches. So there's a next generation nerd search where you can uh, test how well you know your Star Trek for real. Oh, I'm looking forward to that one. I, I love the original series nerd search one. That's one of my favorite additions to my collection in recent years. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, I'm, I I think we those books are 
you know, us not being able to get out to conventions and stuff like that has been a bit of a challenge for those books. Ah, there you go. <laughs> been a challenge because you need to see them, I think, you know, I, and it's quite difficult to sort of explain to people exactly what they are. Um, they have, I'll give you a, a piece of original series trivia because I, I, when we were doing that, I suggested that the most fiendish thing we could have put in it was that um, it would be Scotty, but he would, you would be able to see that Jimmy Doohan had lost his finger. And we would, and it would be like, is this an error or is this not an error? Because Jimmy's finger <laughs> was shot off on the Normandy beaches. Um, mm. uh, but I hadn't realised because since they remastered um, the original series in, in HD, you can actually now see Jimmy's missing or not see Jimmy's missing finger uh, in the trouble with, in the trouble with tribbles because he has a handful of tribbles in his hand. You can see that the finger's not there. There you go. That's Star Trek trivia. <laughs> Wow. Awesome. <laughs> see, now I have to go back and watch that again. Just to see Jimmy's absent finger. <laughs> Just to yeah. see that this time, right? <laughs> yeah. One of the things that came out in this original series book, as a guy, one of the people we talked to, someone no one had talked to before, uh, is that he was an assistant editor. Actually, well, he was an apprentice editor. And he said on the, the day that the show ended, he was like, outside the sound station, there's the dumpster is full of stuff. And in the dumpster, he took from the dumpster the three-foot Enterprise, which they later asked for him to bring back, which he did. Uh, two boxes of Tribbles, um, the uh, alien identification charts from Sickbay, and the Gorn suit, or one of the two Gorn suits. Um, and wow. he, he took them all home. <laughs> and he said he had the Tribbles in his garage, and it rained, and the Tribbles got wet, so he threw them away. Um, Eddie Milkers asked for the Enterprise back, so he gave it back to him. The, um, the 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 charts from Sick Bay just turned to chalk. He said they just you know there was nothing there, but he used to wear the Gorn costume to Halloween parties. When uh, <laughs> he was like driving down the freeway, and he'd put the hat, the head on, and these people would be there. He could see all these people like driving past and looking at him. Oh, that's amazing. And then he yeah, and then he sold it to a friend, and then he discovered that how much the friend had resold it for, and decided he wasn't really a friend after all. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I think Ben Stiller has a Gorn head. I don't yeah. know which, if it's this yeah, there one. Were two, or... There were two costumes. So, yes, he has one of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's, That's crazy. So weird. <laughs> Passing around the head. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, you know what? We actually have a giveaway on this book that we've been talking about. So one of our listeners can actually win a copy of this book. And you know what? We may do this again next week, too. So there may be two out there that we're going to give away. But this week, we're going to give away one. And this is how we're going to do it. And Dan, keep me honest. All you got to do, and you have to be on Twitter to make this one work, but retweet this episode by Friday, May 14th. So you have all day Friday up to that point to get it out there. And uh, you'll be entered into a drawing to win this book. But you have to use the hashtag Star Trek Shipyards. Use that hashtag, retweet this episode, and you're in to possibly win. So there you go. And then you can enjoy all this fun that we've just been discussing. Now, if you already have the book, then you'd get a second copy. right? <laughs> and then you can give it away to a friend and they can give it away to a friend just like the Gornhead. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ben, I assume this book you can buy it most booksellers right i hope so yes uh, yeah, available from good booksellers everywhere as they always say yeah 
yeah, it's everywhere. It's, you know, it's an Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, we buy it from us direct here at Collector. Uh, well, shop.eaglemoss.com, where you can obviously get all the ships and stuff, and you will soon be able to buy the advent calendars. Yeah, because it, it really is worth it. Like, just flipping through this and seeing those full-color illustrations, the CG models, and uh, the write-ups about the ships, I think, uh, like I said, it's just, it deserves to be part of that definitive encyclopedia of star trek knowledge out there so yeah it's really really worth having these on your shelf good i'm glad you think so i mean i definitely you know they're very satisfying to do and there's always a, a sort of like you said like the the thing about the evidence junkyard ship or like all the, the the other ships from uh from drive where you can actually see oh okay, these are all the ships that are in the antarian transstellar rally um mm-hmm. You know, and then you go through the episode and you go, hang on, where did that ship come from? That wasn't on the starting line. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we've 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 done all of that and you can, you know, it, it's a chance to sort of um to look back over it and see it, you know, in in nice, beautifully illustrated detail. Yeah, which is very much the goal. It's one of those resources that, you know, I kind of wish I had by my side when I was younger watching these shows. Like you'd see a ship really quickly. And of course you couldn't pause and rewind at the time you're watching on live TV, but you'd be like, what, what was that ship? I want to, I want to see a better view of that. And, you know, you try and draw it from memory and stuff. I have pages and pages from when I was a kid of, of different ships and stuff. And this book would have just been so perfect to have back then. Yeah. I mean, I, even more than this one, I think the the most interesting one for me is that this is again two volumes the Starfleet ship, where you realise how amazingly flexible that basic design is, and how many um, how many different designs you can get out of a saucer, an engineering hull, and two nacelles or four nacelles, I suppose. Yeah, I've been meaning to do a Voyager rewatch because I, I saw it as it aired, but since then I kind of jump around through episodes and I'm sure there's episodes I haven't seen since the original airing. So I still want to do a rewatch. The thing I like about this book is in the back in the index, you actually list the episodes mm. in alphabetical order. So if you are watching an episode, you can refer to that index to see which ships are represented in the book. Yeah, the mm. indexing was an interesting thing because it, it's like, how would you how would you want to look it up? And it'd be like, oh, okay, well, I want to look it up by the episode it was in, by the name of the species, and sometimes the species doesn't have a name, which makes life interesting. Um, and then also a kind of like a, a, a whereabouts, was it? You know, which season or whatever. And then what we did is because I assumed that the people who buy, vol- the volume two people get an index that combines both volumes. So you'll be able to see, mm. you know, you'll say, oh, well, that's in volume one rather than just in volume two. Oh, that's a good idea. That's like really that. cool, yeah. Star Trek Shipyards, the Borg and Delta Quadrant, available now. And again, you can win one through us if you hashtag Star Trek Shipyards and retweet this episode. Ben, thank you for joining us. Where can people find you online? I am on Twitter. Um, we we are on all sorts of things. Our Instagram is going to be something that we're going to really grow in the next few months, I hope. Um, lots of pictures of ships to put up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but Twitter for me is the easiest thing. I've been a bit busy of late, so I haven't been on too much, but I, I do pop up occasionally and I do my best to answer any sensible, polite questions. Um, yeah, that's the best for me. But then obviously for us, herocollector.com, um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and, uh, and yeah, as I say, increasingly going to be stuff on Instagram. 
Excellent. Dan, where can people find you to talk about ships? You can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And uh, since we're talking Instagram, Kurtrats47. Uh, I, I haven't taken pictures of my Eagle Moss ships in a while, but I should I should take them out and put them on a cool background and start taking photos of them again because they're so photogenic. I love them. <laughs> oh. Well, we'll put the, if you do that, we'll put them on our Instagram. We'll, we, we'll, we'll uh, repost on our Instagram. Well, there's one other thing I just wanted to say, actually, because we kept talking about the fact there's a second volume. You can go and pre-order that second volume now. So, you know, and that's a really good thing from our point of view, because what happens, a little sneaky truth is that Amazon uh, will discount books if there's a lot of pre-ordering. And obviously, you know, the way they do it on Amazon, that if you pre-order it, um, you get the price when it comes out. So the more people pre-order a book, um, and, you know, not just from Amazon, from us too, uh, the, the more likely we are to be able to do more. So pre-ordering is good. Yeah, don't wait, right? Just pre-order now because <laughs> you could get it at a discount. Yeah, that's yeah, the whole absolutely. campaign. Come on, everybody. Let's, let's do this. Let's not wait. Let's order, pre-order everything that we're doing. <laughs> that's right. Let's save money. Bring those prices down for us. <laughs> we can all do this together. <laughs> Excellent. So, hey, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Admiral Rex or Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And of course, you can join our Facebook group. We have a discussion group, Positively Track. We'll let you in there to discuss ships or anything else Star Trek related. And I'm occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast. So listen to that. We haven't had an episode in a while. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Who cares, right? We're here talking about Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) So Ben, thank you so much again for joining us. We'll have you back another time. And what we say to everyone, including our associate producer, William Smith, And that is to stay positive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.